Good morning. My name is Will Downey. I'm the new director of student ministries here at the barn. I want to uh, take a moment to thank all of you who have made the transition here to Simsbury smooth. I thank you for the many friendly smiles. I thank you for all of the work that you put in preparing the manse. Thank you for the encouraging words and emails that you've sent uh, and the many crisp high fives. Many of you are intentional about doing that. I appreciate it. My family has felt welcome. Well, this morning is my privilege, it's my honor, to be opening God's word for the message portion of the worship service. Starting this week, we're beginning a new series for the Advent seasons titled The Beat Poets of the Incarnation. Now, Advent is a word that means coming, and it's a time of reflection and celebration as we remember the first Christmas, when God humbled himself and became one of us, the baby Jesus. This is the Incarnation, God wrapping himself up in humanity, and it is the story that we recount each December. But Advent is also a time when we look forward to and we anticipate the second Advent or coming, when Christ will return to make all things new. Throughout this series, we're going to be focusing on three unlikely individuals who played beautiful and instrumental roles in the acknowledging uh, of the coming Savior. Matt has dubbed these people the Beat Poets. Now, I was overjoyed to be asked to preach one of the sermons in this series because I love Christmas. I love pretty much everything about Christmas. I think it's the most wonderful time of the year. I think it's the hap happiest season of all. I love pretty much everything related to Christmas. I love the caroling. I love the hot chocolate. I love getting gifts. I love giving gifts. I love looking at lights. I love that the smell of evergreen is everywhere. I love how this season can bring out the very best in people. Uh, those random acts of kindness that you hear from a stranger. Uh, I love that for a month we have a very easy segue as Christians to talk about our faith in organic, everyday conversations. It is Christmas, after all. Uh, when Grinches start groaning about, ah, Christmas, ah, rah, I say, well, what, do you, what don't you like? The peace on earth or the goodwill to men? Uh, but I recognize it's not all perfect. As my wife and I were getting out our Christmas decorations um, to do, put our tree together, I was reminded of one of the very few black marks on Christmas. Glitter. <laughs> It's on the decorations, it's on the fake snow we put out, and it's in the cards. For a month, I can't go to my mailbox without fear that a terrorist has sent me a glitter bomb that is going to irreversibly bedazzle our home. Glitter is up there with mosquitoes as pestilences on this world that remind us that we are still waiting for Christ to return and set all things right. was very therapeutic. Thank you. Now, I'm joking a little bit about glitter, but in truth, there are things about the Christmas season which are not good. For every story that we hear of a spontaneous act of kindness, we hear a story about stampedes happening in the department stores. While Christmas can be a wonderful time for families, it can also be a painful time for those of us who have lost loved ones or those of us who have very challenging families. There's a lot of added stressors around the Christmas season. Uh, for those of you who are buying gifts, there's a financial strain and a hard 
December 25th deadline when everything needs to be in. There's lots of activity around the Christmas season, which is good, right? There's parties with friends. There's work parties. There's church decorating parties, which, by the way, I think went really well, and this place looks great. Uh, But all of that can add strain on an already full schedule. Uh, For students, there is the gray clouds of midterms coming in. And then when you finally reach the end and you're on holiday break, parents, now you've got your work cut out for you. Now your list is going to differ from mine, but all of us have distractions that are trying to pull our attention away from the true reason for the season, the advent of Jesus Christ. And what can we do when we want to sing joy to the world, but we're bogged down with stress and anxiety and distractions that often come with Christmas? Well, I believe we can learn something from one of the great beat poets in the story of the Incarnation, a woman named Elizabeth. Elizabeth's role in the Advent story shows us three ways that we can centralize Christ this Christmas season. Our reading this morning is going to span across the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. So you can turn there, and we're going to be looking at three episodes in Elizabeth's life. Her story is going to remind and challenge us to reflect on God's promises to celebrate Christ's arrival and to anticipate his return, regardless of our circumstances. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. In this first episode in Luke 1, we are going to see Elizabeth reflecting on God's promises and experiencing great peace. Luke with me at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are introduced as a righteous couple. They are introduced as a couple who are blameless in all of their ways, a good elderly couple. Uh, Zechariah is a priest, and Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses, the first priest of Israel. These were noble people. These were good people, but there was a problem. Verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, struggling with infertility is a devastating, and it's a sensitive matter. Even to today, with all of our advances um, in modern medicine, infertility treatments. But the matter was even more compounded in the New Testament times because the ability to have children was often viewed as God's blessing on his faithful followers. Also, it was was a different time, it was a different place, and women's role in society was often inseparably linked with their ability to have children and to rear children. Not only was she infertile, but she was beyond the age where having children was, was even a possibility. All right, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were past the point of praying for the gift of a child, and now they were in that phase where you just pray for strength to accept a difficult reality. They would never have a child of their own. But all of that changed when God intervened in their lives in a big way. While doing his priestly duty in the holy place in the temple, an angel appears to Zechariah with a promise from God. 
Starting in verse 13, our text reads, The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. God was promising to give Zechariah and Elizabeth the impossible, a baby boy. At the risk of sounding like an infomercial, the angel proceeds to say, but wait, there's more. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. The baby will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, the last couple of verses of the Old Testament, they end with a promise that's referenced here that God would send a great prophet similar to Elijah to prepare the way for the coming of the Savior King, the Messiah. Not only would Elizabeth finally have a son, but this son would be one of the greatest agents in the unfolding plan of God's redemption. Now, like any infomercial, this news must have sounded too good to be true. And that is how Zachariah responded. Maybe it was the years of disappointment. Maybe it was just the shock of the moment. But he's filled with unbelief, and he cannot accept the promise that the angel was delivering to him. He asked for a sign to verify the truthfulness of the angel's claim. Now, very often, when God promises something big and extraordinary in the Bible, he, he does join this with a sign that validates that this message is true, and it's really from him. However, when we see people themselves requesting a sign, this is almost always something that stems from unbelief when we see it in other places in the Bible. Uh, Luke eleven sixteen, Luke 23, 8. So the issue here isn't that Zechariah was confused and he needed clarification. The issue was that he just couldn't believe it. Now, I'd like to think, if given similar circumstance, I was in his place, that I've re responded with strong, bold faith. Uh, but I know myself a little bit better than that, and I think if I was in Zachariah's shoes, the angel would have had reason to chew me out as well. The news really was too good to seem like it could be true. But the contrast, there's a contrast there between how Zachariah responds and how his wife Elizabeth does. Look with me at verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth does believe all that God has promised to his people. Uh, generally, she believes that God was going to send uh, a great prophet to prepare the way for his coming, and also to her specifically that she wouldn't have any issues with the pregnancy and that she'd be able to carry that child to full term. And that gives her a great sense of peace during her pregnancy. And her open-handed acceptance of God's promise is contrasted with Zechariah's hesitant unbelief. And literarily, this prompts us to ask, how am I going to respond? When we reflect on the promises that God has made, uh, and the way that he's kept his word in the past, we too can have peace. Now, when I was a young tot, my parents made a promise 
to my sister and I that when they paid off the mortgage to our home, our family would get to go to Disney World. Very exciting news. Well, one day we moved, and in so doing, we had to pay off the mortgage on our old home. And no Disney trip. Weeks turned to months, turned to years, have now turned to decades, and my sister and my confidence in that promise is fading. <laughs> now, as, as an adult, I'm a little more understanding than my 10-year-old self. Uh, I understand that sometimes that happens, right? Life gets in the way. Raising a family costs money, and sometimes even the best intention plans fall by the wayside. That's just how it is. But with God, promises never fall by the wayside. God's promises not have, uh, have not only his good intentions, but as the all-knowing, all-powerful, fully trustworthy creator of the cosmos, uh, he also has the means to fulfill those good-intentioned promises. Though his time frame may not always meet with ours, when he's promised us something, we can take that to the bank. God's promised to always love us and to always be with us. He's promised to meet our needs. He's promised to give us rest from our burdens and to save and to forgive those who place their trust in him. Wondering if that gift that we want is going to come back in stock before Christmas arrives, that can be stressful. Wondering if crazy Uncle Melville is going to ruin Christmas dinner with his drama, that can be nerve-wracking. But we experience peace when we rest in the things that God has promised and in the knowledge that what he has promised, he will fulfill. Now, when we read the Bible, it's easy to think back then. But Christ's coming affects us today as well. Elizabeth's story reminds us not only to spend time reflecting on God's past promises and experience peace, but to celebrate Christ's arrival in our life with joy. Elizabeth had been waiting for decades to be pregnant, and God had finally given her her miracle baby. And then along comes Mary for a visit. How do you one-up being pregnant with a great prophet that was foretold at the end of the Old Testament, well past the years where having a child is physically possible? Virgin birth of God incarnate. Boom. Now, Elizabeth could have been bitter. She could have been mad at Mary for stealing the limelight. But instead, she celebrates joyfully. Elizabeth wasn't finding her joy in being the center of attention, but in God's unfolding plan of redemption. Look with me at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Rather than being jealous, Elizabeth celebrates for Mary and for the world at the news of Christ's coming. Now socially, she is Mary's superior. She is an elder, she's advanced in years, and she's the wife of a priest. But in verse 43, she humbles herself. And through her words, she takes the stance of a servant at the realization of who Mary was about to bring into the world. Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
When we find our wholeness in Christ, we are freed to celebrate with joy. Now, it's oftentimes very challenging to celebrate when things in our life are, at best, not meeting our expectations, and at worst, completely falling apart. And if it's hard for us to find joy and celebrate in our own life circumstances, it's even harder to celebrate for others. I was searching for a good church to join in New England for two years prior to being hired at the barn. My brother-in-law was also trained to be a minister to youth, and we were walking through that process of finding a church together. And it's difficult um, looking for a job. You feel like you're always putting yourself out there and being rejected. It's hard not to take that personally. But it was somewhat comforting knowing that I was, had somebody very, very close to me who was going through that process with me. Well, the first church that I really started progressing with uh, was a solid biblical church uh, in Cape Cod. And as the process started moving on, I was very excited, and I called my parents, and I told them all the details, very, very excited, and there's silence on the other end of the line. And after a brief pause, my mother told me, it might be good for you to get a hold of your brother-in-law. Long story short, we had applied at the same church. Uh, And as time moved on and candidates started getting knocked out, it looked like it was going to be a brother versus brother battle. Well, I'm here today. (laughs) So you you may know uh, that I was knocked out of the running there, uh, and my brother-in-law was the candidate that they went with. Talk about struggling to celebrate with someone else. On the one hand, my brother had finally gotten a job, and he was going to be able to use uh, his gifts and his talents for God's glory and for building up his kingdom in Cape Cod, but it was at my expense. And I believe that when God shuts a door, it's because he has something better in store. But that was a small comfort to me at the time. When we compare ourselves with others and we derive our worth from how we stack up against others, we are destined for disappointment. Unhealthy comparisons like that are a parasite to our celebration and to our joy, especially in the holiday season. Maybe you're driving around looking at the different decorations and you see the big houses with the big lights and you wish you had more. Maybe when you hear about other people's warm family traditions, you're filled with bitterness about your own relationships in your life. And what child hasn't heard about that big hall that Santa brought in and is filled with envy, deriving our worth by how we stack up against others is a game that we all lose. Driving our worth from how we stack up against others is a game that we will all lose. But when our focus moves from us versus others to Christ and his estimation of us, then we are freed to celebrate with joy what we do have, and that as a gift from God. Now I want to take a moment to realize that many of us in this room have things going on in our life that are legitimately hurtful and painful. There are circumstances that if we could change, we would, but thus far we've been able to. I'm not saying that Christians should always go around celebrating. I'm not saying that Christians don't have grounds for mourning or grieving. I'm not saying that when you're going through a difficult time, you should just tape a fake smile on your face and pretend like you're celebrating while your heart is in turmoil. 
But as Christians, we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Because Advent is more about Christ coming 2,000 years ago, the Bible foretells a second Advent. And while we reflect with peace on God's many fulfilled promises, and we celebrate with joy our relationship with Jesus and all of that means for our present life, we can also anticipate Christ's future return with hope. In the final episode, we see God's promise to Elizabeth fulfilled. John is born. And just as was promised, there is great rejoicing. The family, the friends, the neighbors, they're all overjoyed that the impossible has become possible. But while everyone's having joy in the moment, they can't help but anticipate the future that's in store for this miracle baby that God had promised would fulfill such amazing things for his kingdom. Verse 65 reads, that fear came on all their neighbors and all of the matters surrounding John's birth were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Despite the uncertainties of the future, Elizabeth and those who were with her took hope in knowing that he would play a fundamental role in the advent of the king the Messiah, the Christ. Now we can overcome holiday stressors by anticipating Christ's second coming. The Christmas season is replete with urgent Christmas prep matters that, that anchor our attention to the here and now. There's finishing the semester, there's travel plans, there's end-of-year budget issues, and the list goes on. And these are legitimate concerns that need to be dealt with, but they do, they moor us to the present. And oftentimes, they make it so that we can't see past today. As followers of Jesus who keep our focus on him, we can have peace in the present, even in difficult times, but our hope is not grounded in today. Our hope rests in Christ returning to set all things right. A day when there'll be no more pain, no more shame, no more suffering, and no more death, as we see in Revelation 21. A day when there'll be no more crying because we didn't get the present we won. There'll be no more road rage because of the stupid mall traffic. And there'll be no more family drama. And that is great. But practically speaking, how can we look forward in hopeful anticipation of Christ's return in the midst of the busiest time of the year? Maybe you're in the thick of it and sitting down to, to pray, to think, to dream about that future when Christ returns. It sounds like a pipe dream until the new year at least. Well, I'm going to deliver a challenge to a challenge during this challenging time. I'm going to deliver a challenge to move the due date when everything needs to be ready from December 25th to December 22nd. All right, everything isn't going to the, to the press on December 25th anymore. Uh, we're moving it forward three days. If you can have your gifts wrapped, your cards sent out, your travel arrangements all in place by December 22nd, that gives you December 23rd to just rest. And then December 24th is a time that you can centralize Jesus and his return with family 
and the expectation that he is going to come and fulfill all his promises and the new heaven and the new earth. Now, I'm a planner, all right? I like doing things ahead of time. I like being done with stuff early, but I recognize that some of you are procrastinators and you have strong religious beliefs against finishing anything ahead of time, okay? And I get that, all right? If that's you, or if you're just somebody who knows, I'm not gonna have any margin in the couple days leading up to Christmas, then I'd encourage you to take a couple times earlier in the month, a day when you don't have to work, and do your centralizing then, um, do your focusing then. Pour yourself some hot cocoa, put on some Christmas music. If you're a home buddy, stay home. If you're an adventurer, go out and look at lights and decorations. Read the Christmas story, all right? Do whatever it is that you need to do to reflect on Jesus and his return in order that you can anticipate uh, Christ coming during the Advent season. Now we learn a great deal taking a cue from Elizabeth's actions that we see in the Christmas story. She peacefully reflected on God's past promises. She joyfully anticipated Christ's arrival and all of that, what it meant for her present life. And she anticipated his future return filled with hope. Now, I recognize that some of you who are listening this morning, you may not share with me a faith in Jesus Christ. You've come here for various reasons. Maybe you're with family. Perhaps it's just in your habit to visit a church during the Christmas season. Or maybe you're just looking for answers. I don't know. But I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. Maybe you too have been overcome by stress, anxiety, and pressure this Christmas season, and you're looking for answers. Well, the Christian faith doesn't offer easy answers, and it doesn't offer a fix to all of your problems today. But faith in Jesus is all that enables us to have peace and joy and hope as we navigate the difficult challenges of not only this Christmas season, but all of life. For all of us, Christmas can be a time that's stressful, but take a couple days amidst the turmoil to centralize Christ's arrival and Christ's returns so that you can get back to enjoying the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs>